0: Mark chapter 5, very, very familiar story. Now, a certain woman reminds me of the certain man that was laid at the gate called Beautiful. Remember what I told you about when the Bible says certain? It's a theological fact that that is a a, a literary form that was used at the time of the writing of the Word of God that was put there to emphasize this is not a parable. This is not a conglomerate of stories made into one character like you see happen in movies sometimes. This is an actual person whose story is being told. Are you with me, church? Oh, you get this word today, your life's going to be changed. Now, a certain woman... Had a flow of blood for 12 years. A feminine problem. I think we can figure it out. She had suffered many things. Wait a minute. Not from the condition, but from the physicians. Now, I ain't got nothing against doctors, but how many know sometimes doctors just want to treat the symptom and not the problem? And they want to give you a, they want to give you a, what's called, What? That's why it's called a practice. That's right. They just practice it on you. Nothing against doctors. I love doctors. But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't call himself a physician? Not to belittle the physicians, because he called a physician to follow him. Luke, is the physician, is a physician. He stated that history tells us he remained a physician even after he wrote the Book of Acts and the Book of Luke. He called himself the Great Physician. He said, they do surgeries and so do I. They treat you and so do I. But the difference between a physician and the great physician is the physician can only give you a remedy many times to treat the symptoms or to put you on a procedure that may take you to a healing process where the great physician shows up day one with the cure. Oh, I feel this thing. Had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had. Every dime. How much better was she? And she was no better. Huh? But rather grew worse. Change that from King James, please, to New King James. But rather grew worse When she heard about Jesus, somebody say Jesus. Notice you when she heard about Jesus, that meant people were talking about Jesus. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. See, can I just stop and say this to you? There is no reason why you are not talking about what God is doing in your church. You want people to run in here and fill these pews, they will come to this house if they hear you talking about what Jesus is doing. So you ought to be talking about this every week. She heard about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Woo. For she said, somebody say she said, Oh, I'm about to preach right now. I'm just, I'm just talking to you. Can I talk to you a little bit? For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, verse 29, I love it. Because God is a suddenly moving God. Same thing. It's just a different word being the same thing. It says immediately. Somebody shout immediately. immediately. Now, watch this. For 12 years. Do you understand what this means? There was never a day that she was not bleeding. Now, if you are bleeding for 12 years, you are anemic. Come on, you hear me? Your iron is extremely low. Your blood count is low. What she had to do back in that time to replenish her iron count, her blood count, I can't even imagine. She probably, her skin tone looked like death. Because when somebody's losing blood, their complexion changes. The body starts shutting down. If you, even if it's a small flow, if it is a constant flow for 12 years, she is weak. Did you hear me? She is weak. How many of us, that's what anemic people are? They're weak. You don't see somebody that's suffering from full blown uh, anemia digging a ditch they don't have the strength to dig that ditch they barely have the strength to hold their head up but this woman a 12 year suffering from a bleeding issue somehow found the strength to push through a mass of hundreds and hundreds maybe thousands of people surrounded by his secret service the 12 disciples Are you hearing me? Pushing people away from him just so that he could walk through the crowd. But somehow, an anemic, weak woman who had been bleeding for 12 years made her way through the crowd. How did that happen? Ooh, I'm about to show you. And when she touched him, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. How many those she didn't get a shot to help her sleep that night so that she didn't have to deal with her problem and she could get some rest? No, when she went to sleep that night, for the first time in 12 years, she didn't have to change the sheets the next day. Because it didn't just say she was healed, it said it dried up. hmm Whoa, but this is so powerful. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. See, I don't want to get too detailed on you, but I got to for you to understand what's happening here. Do you understand that while she's pushing through the crowd, blood is running down her leg? Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. She is, according to Levitical law, unclean. In fact, Levitical law says that if anyone sees the blood running down her leg and touches her at all, brushes up against her, they are now considered unceremonially clean and must separate themselves from the crowd and go through a purification process and dip into the tub that the priest dipped in, burn their clothes and all of this. So not only was she battling an infirmity of a constant flow of 12 years, she was battling knowing that it was so bad that one of the punishments for her doing that, knowing that she was unclean, Was to be stoned and killed upon the spot. Now, you don't make it through a crowd that was surrounding Jesus without pushing people out of your way. Every person she touched, she realized. This one could be the one that looks down at me and kills me. But sometimes you are so desperate, you don't care what the consequences are. You would rather die than give up. Oh, I'm preaching already better than you shout. She made a decision. Remember the Bible says, for she had said within herself, I know one thing. I am going to die very soon. Because I can feel death. No doctor can help me. I'm worse than when I started. I cannot stop this blood. I'm smart enough to know that one day I'm going to bleed out so much I'm going to go to sleep and I'm not going to wake up. So I'm going to die either way. I'm thinking about them lepers in, in the Bible. The Bible tells us them lepers had been put out of the colony, and they they they've been told you you can't come back in the city anymore. The moment you come back into the city, because you're unclean, you will be killed on the spot. And all those lepers in your Bible was sitting outside the city, and one day something happened, a battle happened, and everybody in the city fled and left the city. And they was watching the city, just longing for a day they could go in there and get some food. But they knew the rules were, if you go into that city, you'll be killed because you're a leper. You can considered unclean. But they started looking around the, the, the city, and they realized everybody's gone. And one of them leper dudes spoke up. I love it, man. He spoke up and he says, guys, guys, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I see some chicken, I see some mac and cheese. Oh, oh, come on, you hear me? They saw chicken, they saw mac and cheese, cornbread, come on. They saw it all laying there because they ran off and left it. And one of them said, guys, let's go get us some deed." And one of the lepers spoke up. Can you, can, this is what religion does. One of the lepers spoke up and said, we can't go in there. For you know the rules if we go in there. We're going to die. One of the other lepers spoke up and said, In case you didn't realize it, we're dying already. So we're going to either die out here hungry or we can go in there and eat and be killed, but at least we'll have a full belly. How many know sometimes you got to forget about the circumstances of what the world has tried to tell you and you got to push through the distractions? And this is so amazing to me. Is that she looked down. Like I said, I don't want to break it down, but I got to break it down for you to get this. She looked down at her garment, and it was still bloody. So the evidence of her miracle was not apparent to anyone in their sight, even her if she was looking for the Lord to take the stain of her sickness away, when she touched him and she was looking down to make sure whether the Lord really heals me, he's going to clean my garment up as well. He looks down, she looks down and the stain of the sickness is still there. If she was moved by what she saw, she would have never believed she had a miracle. But something Was special about this certain woman. For this woman who was ceremonially unclean, who was now poor, probably very wealthy when this began, who had lost her family, lost her children, no one could touch her. She was completely alone. She had something that even the disciples didn't have. She had somehow tapped into a level of faith. That was on the inside that overrode everything she could see or hear. So when she looked down, she knew what she saw. But on the inside, she knew what she felt. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. The outside didn't match what she knew on her spirit man had just happened. The Bible said she felt within herself. Now, without getting too detailed again, she knew what that feeling felt like, the flow. So she, all, the evidence of the flow was still there, but all of a sudden she just went, whoa. Something is different. Something feels different than that I hadn't felt in 12 years. But I got news new story. That ain't what she was praising God for. That she felt the physical manifestation of the blood drying up. That what was exciting to her is before she ever felt the physical manifestation of it being dried up, she already had felt it in her spirit. Am I preaching right? When this happened, oh my God, I could preach for three hours today. I may just, y'all can just go home. I may just keep preaching all the way to six o'clock tonight. When this happened, my God, she felt in her body that she was healed of this affliction. That's a good sermon right there, ain't it? Well, I've already preached. That's a good preaching. But we got to read the rest of the story. The very next verse, and Jesus immediately knowing where? In himself. Remember, Jesus was God, is God, always been God, but everything he did here on this earth, when he walked here on this earth, he did as a man who is God, not as God who was a man. So even the glory of God that came on him, his own spirit that came on him in the river Jordan with John the Baptist and the way he did miracles, he did every miracle the way he wanted us to do the miracles. But something was different about this one. Immediately, knowing in himself, oh, get this, that power, King James says virtue, power had come out, had gone out of him. Something pulled something out of Jesus. Jesus stopped, turned around, looked at the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the masses, the multitude thronging you. You've been hit and knocked all over this place ever since we left the house. And you're going to ask us to tell you who touched you? Verse 32. And he looked around to see her. Who had done this thing. But the woman. Fearing and trembling. Because she knew the repercussions. But she was prepared for him, Knowing what had happened to her. Came and fell down before him. And told him the whole truth. See we never preach that part. We go right to what he says next, daughter, your faith has made you well. But Jesus, it tells us, took the time to listen to her story. We don't ever preach that part. So Jesus says, so so you're the one. You're the one that touched my clothes and pulled virtuous power, healing power out of me. She's standing there trembling. It's me, Lord. It was me. It was me. It was me, Lord. She was afraid to even look up. Jesus, knowing this breaks every Levitical law in the land, he says, hmm, tell me about it. So it almost implies, doesn't just almost imply, it implies, because it said it told her the whole truth. She said, well, Jesus. For 12 years, she began to lay out to Jesus all that she had been through. I lost my family. I lost my income. I've lost my independence. And I realized that I was about to lose my life. But for some some reason, when I heard about you, and I heard about what happens wherever you go, It wasn't just that I believed I would get my miracle. I all of a sudden found that maybe I still have a reason to live. I could have just crawled up under a tree and just died. But I'm here, Jesus, not just because I needed a miracle. I'm here because I believe you've given me a purpose to live beyond this moment. after listening to her, he said to her daughter, he said, daughter, isn't it awesome that he called her daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be completely healed of your affliction. Now I got to tell you a couple of things. The first thing you got to understand about this woman that she is teaching us is the power of confession. The power of the life and death that is in your tongue. So, be- because before she ever met Jesus, before she ever knew how to get to Jesus, before she ever made up a plan, a crazy, insane plan, I know what I'll do with blood all over me which is reason for me to be killed and I'm called unceremoniously clean I'll just fight my way through a bunch of men who want to kill me anyway and then at the last ditch effort I'm going to dive like a receiver going into the end zone and I'm going to brush across the bottom of his prayer shawl his talit and I'm going cuz that's what it implies it implies that it didn't just touch it didn't touch his robe it it touched that one strand that flows down further than any other strand on the prayer shawl which is known as the talit so literally it means that She brushed her finger across one thread of the prayer shawl. That's it. That was his mantle. A thread, not even his clothes. It was a thread that she touched. But her faith was on such a level that it stopped Jesus. Everybody else is hitting him like crazy. Somebody touches a thread. What just happened? Now, the only reason I'm giving Bishop Clint credit, what I'm about to preach now, because you was there last Sunday, and you wouldn't you would know. If you wasn't sitting there on the front, Lance, I'd act like this was mine. But Latin, all that rest, this ain't what I'm talking about, but this part, what I'm about to tell you, I heard Bishop Clint say last week, and I said, my God. this one thing he said. He told this church in Georgia, he said, let me tell you something. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Do you know that verse? How does it start off? Now faith. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith. Do we have that scripture? Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith. Somebody shout now faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, you heard that quoted a thousand times. But watch this. Look at your neighbor right now. Point your finger at your neighbor and say, hey, I want to tell you something. You do not have a future. What? You? know, we do not have a future. You do not have a future. I'm sorry, you don't have a future. You don't have a future because whatever you consider to be your future, when you get to it, it's no longer your future. It's your now. You don't have a past. Oh, y'all, you want to talk about your past? Because everything that's in your past is washed in the blood of Jesus and you become new. All things have passed away. So we're talking about kingdom-minded people. So everything you want to live in your past is ridiculous and silly because in the kingdom, it's been wiped out. And then Christians won't spend all their life and their time thinking about one day, one day, speaking about their future, and you don't even have one. All you have is now. This was the cool example that he gave. Come up here, son. One more time. Give you another shot. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on, one day, come on, get up here, get up here, get up here, hurry, hurry, run, 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 come on. My time is valuable, man. Why are you walking slow? All right, All right watch this. All right, watch this. Y'all see that? We just took a selfie, right? How many knows that's in the past? It's already in the past. You can be say, brother. You did good this time. Come on, give Austin a hand. He is growing as a sermon assistant. You keep that up, I may give you a Sunday, and I'll be your assistant. True. That's so true, son. The truest statement you've ever said, young man. You can't keep with me. So how many knows? the moment we took the picture, it was now, but the moment I clicked the shutter... was no longer now we spend too much time living in the past too much time worrying about the future when the only thing we have is now you're not even promised tomorrow even if you live to tomorrow it's still not tomorrow it becomes today are you getting this So she made a decision to not live in the past, to not worry about the consequences of her future, and to live in the now. Are you hearing me? Now what you've got to get is this. What is the opposite Of faith, fear, doubt, that's what we've always preached. But the truth is this, that's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of faith is sight. Because if we can see it, we don't need faith. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11:1 now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things shall it not seem. If you see it in the now, you don't need faith. But if you see it right now, but there's no evidence in the natural right now, that's when you're operating in faith. Oh, come on. But here's the power of faith. And I'm coming down off this mountain. Is faith is the substance. That word substance means tangible evidence. It's proof. It's proof. Of the things you're hoping for that you can't see. But no one will be able to convince you that you don't have it. I didn't, I can't see it with my eyes. It can only be seen from within me. So the natural was she still had the manifestation of the physical now. But the now transformed for her that day, so much so that it stopped Jesus in his tracks, was because she, without even being taught this, this was a gift of God, came on this woman. She saw the evidence that she was whole on the inside of hers, what it said, when it did not look to anybody else Because when he turned around and said, Who touched me? and she's on her knees trembling, why is she trembling? She is trembling because she is still bloody on the outside. They don't know what's happened to her on the inside, they don't know. As far as what it looks like to them, she's still unceremonially clean. Religion says you're not worthy to be here among us. But Jesus stopped them all and said, stand back. I want to hear this one's story. And he he overrides everything when he says, daughter, get up. Daughter, get up. What's, what's the key word? Daughter. How many knows? We don't don't get to that until the book of Romans. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God has given them power to become the sons of God. The daughters of God. That's a New Testament principle that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a child of God. But he calls her daughter. He says, daughter, get up and go in peace. Why did he say that? I see that you are scared to death that these men are about to kill you. Don't you worry about them. I got them. You go home and change your clothes and you start living a life you never dreamed you could live. I'll deal with all them. Peace, daughter. Peace. Chill. You go, okay. Go and know that you are completely healed of your affliction. Now, here's what's so powerful. How are we healed today? If, you're, if, you're, if you've ever been healed of anything in your life, raise your hand if you've ever received healing. My hand's up. I've been healed of many things. Now, how were you healed? Who healed you? It's okay. It's not a trick question. Who healed you? Jesus. Now, when we pray healing prayers over people, what do we pray and what do we confess that provided healing to us? Somebody said it over there. The stripes of Jesus, right? In fact, let's read the two times it's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, peace, there's that word. Our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. That's Isaiah. Old Testament, New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, and that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So we see in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. New Testament, post-cross resurrection, the Holy Ghost outpouring, Peter says, by whose stripes we were healed. Either way, God says it is his stripes on his back, the 39 stripes that he took on his back that provided our healing. It was the the nails in his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear in his side that provided our salvation because that's what brought the death of Christ. But long before or a little bit before he went to the cross, He was beaten by a cat of nine tails, 39 stripes that killed most people before they ever made it to the cross. But he endured it because he knew the cross will provide salvation, the stripes will provide healing. So before that happened, mankind had no ability to claim their healing. Oh, you didn't even hear me. The only time anybody was healed in the Old Testament was when God moved on a prophet to do something miraculous. You have no record of people throughout the Old Testament just walking by faith and not by sight and claiming their miracle. But yet, still in the Old Testament, You say, well, Jesus' story is in my my Bible called the New Testament. It's okay. Don't freak out. But here's the reality. The book of Hebrews tells us that the New Testament actually didn't even begin until Jesus died. So every miracle that he did, he actually did it and operated in the Old Testament under the Old Testament Levitical law even though he was teaching us how to operate in the New Testament, that's why he said I came not to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill the law. He said, I didn't come to tell you that the law was bad. I just come to tell you you've misunderstood it, and it was all really pointing towards me. But in the midst of Old Testament, pre-stripes, this woman found a way. To reach into the future and pull it back to now. Oh, y'all, yeah, that's so deep but y'all. Y'all don't even get it. She had no right to say within herself, If I could but touch the hem of his carment, I know that I'll be made whole. That was not available to her. Are you hearing me? It was not available to her. Wasn't a, that's why they're all freaking out. But it was such faith that it stopped Jesus. And it's not that Jesus is not all knowing, but the man part of Jesus had a brain. Okay, I don't want to get I don't mess you up here. But you got to understand, Jesus was born of a virgin. He was a baby. He had to that baby had to learn how to eat. That baby had to learn how to talk. I know it's weird, the creator of the universe, but he did everything like as a man, yet without sin. So the man part of him stopped and said, how did that even happen? It is not time for someone to be able to do that yet. But somehow she did it. I don't understand how she did it. But she did it. She found a faith. A woman. Come on ladies. I thought you'd get excited. In the Bible days a woman. Did something that no man ever did. It was. She didn't know it was going to be this. She knew what Isaiah said. She knew that scripture. But Jesus had not been beaten. But somehow her spirit man said. This man. Is gonna make the way for my healing and everybody else's healing one day. But I don't have enough time to get to one day. So I need to pull that power that's in Him that's gonna be released to all of us one day. I need to pull that moment out from the future because I don't have a future. All I have is now. Come on, somebody. And she had now faith and she pulled it back into her now. Who touched me? What do you mean, who touched you? You've been thrown up here. She said, no, 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 no. I have been touched in a way That during these three years of preaching, nobody has ever touched me. I'm going to really mess you up. I looked up that word touch, and it literally means, don't, don't get freaked out by this. It means intimacy slash intercourse. Now, they didn't do anything inappropriate. You understand what I'm saying? But it was a level of intimacy. I don't even know if I can even say what I need to say. Because I don't know if y'all can handle it. Do you know why they call it intercourse? Because there's an entering happening. Are you hearing me? Over the course. Are you hearing me? Something is entering. I know it's spelled different, but that's what it means. That means... There was nothing sexual or nothing inappropriate about this moment, but her faith entered in, entered in to Jesus and touched him in a way on the inside. Everybody else was touching him on the outside, she went inside. He was like, "Whoa, what just happened? It ain't time for that. I know that's coming, but that shouldn't have happened. I need to hear your story. But not just me, but everybody around here needs to hear your story. So. What I come to tell you today is that your faith has got to be greater than something tied to what you see because what you see is an enemy of your faith. So what you feel is an enemy of your faith. What you sense with your five senses that are tied to your flesh is an enemy of your faith. What you hear is an enemy of your faith. Because what you hear is what the doctors tell you. What you hear is the fight that you got in and what they said. Mm. You are being led by what you see by what you hear by what you smell by what you sense on every level and every one of them are enemies of your faith put that scripture back up Hebrews 11 1 Hebrews 11 1 now faith everybody say now now faith is the substance, the evidence entered into the court of your life. Well, Mr. Raglan, the papers and the diagnosis say that your biological father died of heart disease. Your biological grandfather died of heart disease. Several people in your family died of heart disease. So we have in front of us study upon study upon study that tells us, Mr. Raglan, that your DNA is predisposed to have heart issues and when you feel pressure in your heart you need to be concerned because it is the first sign of you following in the generational DNA of the passing down of heart disease. Every expert every researcher and every scientist says that unless you take a baby aspirin and unless you take this and eat this and don't eat this and and unless you run a marathon and listen, I'm not against precautions. I'm not against being healthy. I'm not against doing things that make sense because he didn't tell us to be stupid. But I have heard and heard and heard that basically, you need to begin to see you're in your 50s, so therefore, you're on the backside, you're on the downhill, you're on your way to death. You've not on your way to life, you're on your way to death. What do you say for yourself, Mr. Raglan? The evidence is all before you. Do you have representation? As a matter of fact, I do. Your Honor, with me here, according to the Word of God, it tells me if I sin, if I mess up, if I have become human, I have an advocate with the Father. And by the way, you earthly judge, that word advocate advocate in the original language is the word word, paracletos where we get the word paralegal where we get the word lawyer so law so you earthly judge i happen to have representation with me his name is jesus Christ of nazareth oh Is that all you have to say for yourself? Well, no, sir, because my lawyer has just whispered in my ear and reminded me that he was wounded for my transgressions, that he was bruised for iniquity, that the chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes I am healed. He just told me that in my ear. So, you little earthly judge, lay your evidence in front of you. I got evidence as well. Exhibit one. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might be saved. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Exhibit two. When they put him in the tomb, and sealed it with a Roman seal and guarded it in the natural just like you got me guarded now because you think you got me. You got me in these shackles. You got me in your chains. You think you're going to put me in your prison? Same thing happened to him. But your, your, your earthly judge, I don't even want to call you your honor, but I will out of respect. Your honor, I want you to know that the by law, that's sitting next to me on the third day rolled the st- away and walked out of death and is alive and he's sitting right here beside me today exhibit number three he didn't just do that for me so that I could get to heaven He told me that everything he did while he was here, he wanted me to do and greater on another level than he did it. So he sent me the power of the Holy Ghost of which I currently am absolutely full of and is running out of me and is on me, in me, and around me and nothing nothing that you can say can touch this because greater is he that's within me than he that's sitting behind that dead but above all of it I don't even care what you say or what you think you can see because all of this that you've laid before me is all evidence supporting, and I don't doubt, I don't doubt the evidence, but here's your problem. All of this is talking about a man who no longer exists. You're trying to tell me that this man is going to die. I've come to tell you he's already dead. don't even exist I got a new bloodline I got new DNA whose report are you going to believe I'm going to believe the report of the Lord I just got the report back I just got it back here it is here it is Oh, I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm free. I've got power in my life. I can lay hands on the sick and recover. Freely, I receive freely. God's will for my life is to live and not die. Get up on your feet and shout. I got new DNA. Somebody shout, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Woo! So watch this. When you come in this place tonight. You come in this place tonight with now faith. You reach into the future and you pull that future faith, that future miracle back into the now. Stay on your feet for a second. I'm going to show you something. I've told you this before, but sometimes you need to be reminded. If I break my arm and I go to the emergency room and they x-ray it and they give me a diagnosis that my arm is broke right here. And they say, I said, what are you going to do? They said, well, Mr. Ragland, your arm is broke. We're going to put you in a cast, and you're going to have to wear that cast for X amount of weeks while your arm heals. They may say, like, it may take six to eight weeks for your arm to begin to. So it's a medical term in the natural to be healed. They call it that. They put you on a regimen if they're a good doctor and they found a. A healing or a solution to a problem in the natural. And they'll say, you know what, we've been treating this for, for a long time, but now we've found a way to heal this situation. So if you'll take that, and you'll even see on some of the commercials, some of these, uh, one, of, one of the hepatitis and commercials and so forth, they've said, now we found a treatment that if you'll take this for X amount of months, you'll be healed. I remember seeing that on the commercial. They say, you'll be healed. They actually say that word. So if, if it takes six to eight weeks, For my arm in a cast to be healed, how many of us, when I take the cast off and my arm is strong and I do what I'm supposed to do and I go through therapy and I can use my arm again and it's stronger than it's ever been, is it appropriate, this is not a trick question, is it appropriate to say that 8, 10, 12, 14 weeks later, I have no issues with my arm whatsoever, that I can say my arm is healed? Yes. Now let me ask you a question. I break my arm. Same break. And I'm in this service tonight at 6 p.m. And Jim comes over and lays hands on me. Puts his hand right on me and says, in the name of Jesus, that's my pastor. Get your hands off. He ain't got time for no broke arm. In the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I feel within me something happen. I feel a popping. I feel something coming back together. I, You can't see it. I can't even see it in the natural because I'm looking at my arm. It's dangling. But all of a sudden, pop, pop. I feel something inside of me. And all of a sudden I do this. There's no pain right in front of everybody. Is it appropriate to say that my arm is healed? The absolute only difference between those two healings is one simply had the time removed. That's what a miracle is. It's now faith. Removing the time in the future that it would take treatments and rehabilitation and all these other kind of things. God just simply says, you know what? If you want to go that route, you can go that route and still be healed. Or you can activate something from within you. And right now at this moment, I can just go ahead and do it. Which one do you want? Somebody shout now, faith. Raise your hands. Say this with me. Father, I refuse to live my life led by what I see, hear, or feel. From this day forward, i make a commitment to you to walk in right now faith. Help me, Lord, to be a man or a woman of faith, not just for my miracle, not just for my family, but for who you need me to be for others in this moment. Help me to not miss my moment. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of every sin I have ever committed in my life. Right now, with my voice, unashamedly, I confess you and you alone as my Lord and as my Savior. From this day forward, I see myself as a child of God, healed, whole, and at peace, ready to be used for God. Give him a shout of praise right now if that's you. Hallelujah. Ushers, I want you to grab the buckets and make your way to the back. Make your way to the back. Cover every aisle so somebody's got to walk by every one of you. Look you right in the eye. Look at them and say, hey, it's time for tithing offering. Just kidding. I mean, it's up to you whether you want to be blessed or not. Everybody else, just you can be seated for just a moment. If you want to be blessed you need to be a giver you need to be a tither. tithing is so important to the believer so important in fact it's not a suggestion and it's not optional don't don't get on youtube and search tithing and listen to all these people who are because most of the people that are teaching that tithing is not biblical are not even in a church they're not even serving god They've got their own little church, they call it, where they they sit in their living room and they stream something online and they have have no accountability. They have no kind of reference of accountability in their life whatsoever. So they've just checked out and they're pulling people away from the principles that God has placed in our lives as believers. There's an absolute necessity of a believer to be a tither. You say, well, I'm new to church. What does tithing mean? It means 10% of what God brings in financially to your home. My wife and I, we have been tithers since before we got married. But when we got married May 26, 1989, every single dollar that has ever made its way into our life, we have tithed. That's not to brag, that's to say that we are blessed and we have made it through some things that most would not make it through because we have put God first before everything in our lives. We've done without the things that we wanted so that we could be faithful to God. This is your moment. I mean, have you have you been fed today? Have you encountered God today? Come on, give and pray. One of the most ultimate shames is for a believer to come to a service like this, eat and be fed the way you've been fed, and walk out and sow nothing back into that vision. But yet you'll go straight from here to a restaurant serving you subpar food, subpar service. Nobody's parking your car. Nobody's taking care of your kids. Fill in the blank of all the things that has happened for you in the last two hours. They're not doing anything of that for you except bringing you some food that's just halfway decent at best. And you would never, ever dream of just getting up and walking out without, without paying for that meal. I'm not telling you you're paying for a meal today. But it's a shame that the believer has more conviction about that than we do have conviction about making sure that we're obedient to God in his house. It's quiet because you're taking it in. It's all about choices. It's who you put. Where's your now faith? See, when you operate in now faith, you're not worried about the future. You know God's got you. Amen.